Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live with Dr. David Wilson, we continue our study in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount with another installment of Tough Truths. Picking up where our last tough truth, adultery, left off, we're tackling Jesus' teaching on divorce and remarriage. Did Jesus make an allowance for divorce? And how does that teaching differ from the Mosaic Law? For the answers, turn to Matthew 5, verses 31 through 32, as we hear the issue of divorce and remarriage from Pastor David Wilson. If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 5. We're walking verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about how to come to God. You have to be spiritually bankrupt. You don't bring anything to God. We're saved by His grace. He gives us everything. And then He talked about being the salt and the light. And then He mentions what I begin to call tough truth. Um, some stuff that's really hard to grasp. Not really, actually, it's not hard to grasp, it's hard to hear. Because he's, He begins to talk to people who think they're okay. I can get to God on my own. All I've got to do is go to church, be baptized. I, I can get to God on my own. I just keep the rules. He begins to dismantle that. He said, you, the, the scribes and Pharisees, had limited it to very few things. He'd taken the Ten Commandments, and, and they'd added a bunch of rules and regulations to it, but then they narrowed it down to make themselves look good. For example, he, they said, we're not murderers. We've never killed anybody. What they were talking about, they never committed the very act of murder. But Jesus said, but you don't understand. Your heart, in your heart, you've already murdered some people because you hate them. You're bitter toward them. You won't forgive them. Well, we've never committed adultery, the very act of it. Yeah, but you've got a heart full of lust and sin that is manifested when you Look around, and it's not that a woman causes you to lust. It's that you already have lust in your heart. You're just looking for a place to lust. He said, it's your heart. And then he couples that with marriage. He talked about the sanctity of life. Thou shalt not murder. Then he talks about the sanctity of marriage. You shall not commit adultery. And then he adds to that today. In verse 31, you see the word, furthermore, it has been said. Now, he just mentioned about adultery. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, you want to hear some tough truth. We need to pray first. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We know it's true. But Lord, some of it's hard to understand. And so we ask that through your spirit, you open our eyes and help us to understand the truth. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Most Sundays, I'm really excited about preaching. Today's an exception. I thought about asking one of my staff members to preach today on this passage. You see, I have to admit, it's, um, it's a difficult passage. It's tough. Tough truth. Because it's difficult sometimes to balance the high standards of holiness and righteousness that God set forth and also maintain the grace and forgiveness that comes from God. So when we uphold the truth, we're not condemning anyone because there are people today who need to hear the truth about marriage and divorce. I am reminded of Pastor Alan Carr's words that I quoted last two weeks ago. When you preach through books of the Bible, one of the great blessings is that sooner or later you'll preach on every subject imaginable. But one of the disadvantages is that sooner or later you will preach on every subject imaginable. I read a lot of messages and a lot of sermon series, and, and, and it's interesting to me that how many pastors had a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, but they didn't have a sermon on this passage. They just skipped it. Well, I'm not going to skip it, but I also want you to know that I don't condemn anybody either. In fact, that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is to help see the unrighteousness in people's hearts. So I'm fully aware that most everyone in this room has at least been influenced or touched by a divorce of some kind. So we're not here today to say, you folks have committed the unpardonable sin because you haven't. It's not the unpardonable sin. But I also want you to stay with me today. The doors are locked. You can't get out. I want you to stay with me to see the grace and the forgiveness and what God wants us to do from this day forward. Now, when Jesus spoke these words, divorce was so common. Historians tell us that some Romans had as many as 15 to 20 different wives in their lifetime. The Jews did not divorce like that, but it was still very commonplace. It was so easy to get a divorce. All you had to do was write out a certificate, hand it to her, and say, see ya. Now, maybe they didn't say see ya. I put that in there. But they, but they would give a, a certificate of divorce, and, and you were gone. And so Jesus, in showing the rabbis and the scribes that had added all of this stuff, or they had narrowed it down to make themselves look good, he talks about the sanctity of marriage. Now, I want to begin by showing you or talking about the erroneous attitude of the scribes. I've already mentioned to you how they made it look, they made themselves look good by narrowing it down. When you come to this passage, there are four interpretations you can make. Now, this is not multiple choice. They're not all correct, but I'm just telling you that there are four basic interpretations. The most extreme would be the most stringent that divorce is not allowed for any reason and remarriage is not allowed for any reason. That would be one extreme. The opposite of that, the other extreme, is that divorce is allowed for any reason and remarriage is allowed for any reason. Very few people I know, I, I've, I've known a few that would be over here in this first extreme, 
I don't know many that would be in the other, but they exist. But then most of the other ones, the other two interpretations would be more in the middle that divorce is allowed for a possible, you know, for a, a possible reason, but remarriage is not allowed. Divorce is allowed for adultery's sake, but you're not allowed to remarry. And then the other one would be that divorce is allowed with, for that reason, but you are allowed to remarry. Now, I hope I didn't just confuse you, but there are all kinds of interpretations today. Well, like many people today, the scribes and the Pharisees had adopted their own standards. And, you know, we have a tendency to do that. We can make up our own rules and regulations, and we can make ourselves look good. And that's exactly what they did. And that's why Jesus said, you have heard it said. The traditions not what God said. You have heard it said. The rabbinical tradition has been passed on to you. You have heard it said by those of old that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, now, Jesus is going to say something different, but let me show you where the rabbis had, had um taken their tradition. They went back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Listen to this, verses 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. Remember that word. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as a wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance." When Jesus was here, I told you to remember that word uncleanness in Deuteronomy 24. When Jesus was here, there were two schools of thought on that. The very strict school, the school of Shammai was very strict. They said uncleanness meant sexual immorality or adultery. Thus, the only basis for divorce was adultery. They were in the minority. The school of Hillel, which was very lax, held that uncleanness applied to almost anything that would warrant divorce. If a wife spoiled the supper, chatted with another man, spoke disrespectfully of her husband, or any such little thing, she could be divorced. They didn't take marriage seriously at all. In fact, the ultimate motive behind all this freedom was nothing more than to justify their sin. If I can just get rid, if I see a woman I want, I'll just get rid of my wife. She, oh, she burnt the toast this morning. I'll get rid of her and I'll go chase this other woman. So legally it made them look good. You understand? They just took marriage lightly. Now the meaning of the word uncleanness in Deuteronomy 24 indicates an improper, shameful, indecent behavior, but it cannot refer to adultery. You know why in Deuteronomy 24? Because if you committed adultery, they killed you. Amen. They stoned you. So that pretty much terminated the marriage, didn't it? 
So what was this uncleanness? Probably some kind of sexual behavior just short of the very act of adultery. But for some reason, it probably had some sexual connotations to it. But the man could say, you've been unfaithful. Even though they had not actually committed the act of adultery, they wouldn't stone them. But, but, but see, the rabbis and the scribes of Jesus' day, they took that and they expanded on it and they made it real easy for people to divorce their wives. Now, I want you to remember at this time, women didn't have many rights at all. In fact, they were treated like property. Christianity's done more to elevate the status of women than any other. I hate to say it's a religion, but it's not a religion, but it's done more to, uh, to elevate the rights of women than any religion in the world has ever done. But the certificate that Moses gave them or said, you can write a certificate, it was not given, listen to me, it was not given to encourage divorce. It was given as a deterrent to it. For if a man made a hasty decision because of some issue with his wife, then his concession demanded that he could not later remarry this woman. For if she'd been married to another man and either divorced him or was a widow, the certificate was proof that she had not been an adulterer. The certificate was proof that, that her, her, she had not been an adulterer or she'd been stoned for one thing, but the certificate protected her reputation. It protected her from criticism. It protected her from abuse. It's incredible why people divorce today. There are so many different scenarios for divorce today. I was reading, looking at some of the reasons that people divorced, and, and there was a headline that came up that said, 10 unbelievable reasons people got a divorce. And it, sh it showed 10 actual actual divorces. It didn't show the divorces, but it told them why. I'm going to quote one of them to you. One man got married while on his honeymoon, they went swimming and she did not have on waterproof makeup and her makeup came off while she was swimming. He had never seen her without makeup. And he said, she has deceived me with makeup and divorced her. That's the kind of nonsense that was going on in Jesus' day. But that happened in our day. You see, they didn't have any rights. And, they, and so the, because of the hardness of their heart, Moses allowed them to give a certificate of divorce to protect the woman. Now, Deuteronomy 24 is a strong warning about divorce. The Lord's primary purpose was not to give an excuse. You're not looking for the loophole so you can get out of the marriage, but to show the potential evil of it. His intention was not to provide for it, but to prevent it. But the attitude of the scribes and Pharisees was, you know what? It's okay. If you, if you find a reason you don't like her, just write her a certificate of divorce and you get you another one. Now, Let's look at the exact application of Scripture. What did Jesus mean in this sermon? 
Well, folks, you can't understand what Jesus means unless you understand the teaching of the Scripture on marriage. Let's talk about marriage for a minute. Immediately after woman was created in the garden, Genesis 2.24, God said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage was God's plan. Man didn't make it up. God planned it. He said everything's perfect, everything's good, except man. He's alone. So he created woman to fight aloneness. But that's, she's much more than that, obviously. I, I happen to be, believe that he did better on the second model than he did the first model. <laughs> but in the deepest sense, every couple that's ever been married participates in a union that's established by God himself. The word cleave carries the idea. In fact, what God said was, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. The word cleave means to be permanently attached, to be glued to. In marriage, a man and woman are closely joined together so they become one flesh, which involves much more than the physical oneness. In marriage, God brings a husband and a wife together in a unique physical relationship, but also a spiritual bond that goes to the very depths of the soul. You can ask people in here who've been married for many years that there's a bond there that's much deeper than when they first got married. Marriage is the welding of two people together in one unit, blending two minds, two wills, two sets of emotions, two spirits. And it's a bond that the Lord intended for it to be permanent. That's God's ideal. Permanent. I've created this. You commit yourself to one another, stay together. He created sex and procreation to be the fullest expression of that oneness. The intimacies of marriage are not to be shared with anyone else, just in the marriage. But then man messed all of that up. When Adam sinned, a curse came upon the world. And guess what happened to the relationship? Listen to what the scripture says. Genesis 3.16, God told the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire, now remember that word, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. He told the man, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. That's where the tumbleweed came in. I figured y'all would understand that part of it. So every time the tumbleweeds fill your yard, just say, Adam, why did you do this? But the fall distorted the relationship. He said to Eve, you're going to desire your husband. Now, that's the same word used in the next chapter where it said sin is at the door of Cain, that sin desires you. In other words, it wants to control you. Woman, you're going to want to control your husband. And then the husband, it says he's going to rule over you. It's, it's an iron thumb 
put you down. So if you want to know where male chauvinism and women's lib came from, it started in the garden after the fall. Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be in control? And so it distorted the whole thing of marriage. It did. And on a deeper level, divorce destroys a union that God himself made. Divorce is a denial of his will. It's a destruction of his work. And the penalty for adultery shows the seriousness of that. God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then in the, the 10th commandment, you shall not covet anything of your neighbors, even his own wife. So he mentions it twice. And then, of course, the death penalty made it um, a deterrent. In Malachi chapter 2, God says, I hate divorce. He didn't say he hated the people who are in a divorce because God doesn't hate anybody. He doesn't hate you. But he hates the concept. He said, I designed this for you to have an intimate relationship, a bonding of two people, and, and I hate it when it's ripped apart because that wasn't his intent. So don't misunderstand me. God doesn't hate you. But in order for a marriage to work, there has to be forgiving love and restoring grace. Those of you who are married, you ever had to forgive your spouse? If you say no, you just lied. <laughs> do you ever, do you get along? Do, do you all completely agree on everything? No, you're not going to agree here in a moment when you leave here and decide where you're going to go eat. <laughs> where do you want to eat? Well, let's go over here. No, I don't want to go there. Well, then why did you ask me in the first place? <laughs> There's not many places to laugh today. You better laugh when you can. <laughs> but see, marriage is a proper symbol of God's forgiving love and restoring grace because you have to have that in a marriage. And so the application here is that God intended for marriage to be permanent. But now, let's go another step. Let's look at the expanded answer of Jesus, of the Savior. To the legalistic, self-righteous scribe and Pharisee, Jesus was saying, you consider yourselves to be great teachers and keepers of the law, but by allowing no-fault divorce, you've caused a great blight of adultery to come across the land. By lowering God's standard to meet your own, you've led many people into sin. Only a little paperwork was required to legalize their lust. That's what he was saying. You think you just haven't committed the act of adultery, and yet you can send the woman off for no reason and then go find you another woman. You are committing adultery. So, a couple of things on this, this answer from Jesus. The first... Let's look at the exception. Now, we call this the exception clause because he reveals that with the exception of fornication, divorce results in adultery. Folks, there's never been a situation of divorce where sin was not involved some way. I didn't say both were equally wrong. I didn't say both were in sin because I'm fully aware that some of you have suffered a failed relationship by no fault of your own, but there was sin involved on you by your spouse. 
You may have been faithful to the marriage relationship. You may have been seeking to work through reconciliation, but your spouse did not want to or they were engaged in an extramarital affair. Sin was at the heart of that affair. God intended for your marriage to last, but sin enters a relationship and sometimes a marriage is terminated. I really can't think of any circumstance where sin is not directly involved in a divorce. I didn't say both people were equally guilty, but I'm just telling you, divorce doesn't happen unless at least one of the people has brought sin into the relationship some way. So by divorcing his wife on grounds other than adultery, a husband, it says, Jesus says, you're causing her to commit adultery. If she remarries, and it was assumed that she would because a woman couldn't make it by herself then. She had to be married. They were treated like property. So how's she going to make it on her own? So they just assumed she would remarry. He says, you're causing her to commit adultery by sending her off. And further, Jesus makes it explicit in Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to be referring to that a little bit. Mark chapter 10, he, he said, "Whoever, verse 11, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Now, I do not believe, like some people do, these extreme people would say, well, if you are divorced and you're remarried, then you're living in adultery the rest of your life. How can you say that? Have you ever lied? Yeah, you have. I'll answer for you. <laughs> then, so are you, are you a liar the rest of your life? The answer is no. Why? Because if you live in adultery the rest of your life, or you're a liar the rest of your life, then Romans 8, 1 doesn't mean anything. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been forgiven. If you're in that circumstance, whether you want it to be or not, you've asked the Lord to forgive you, he's done that. Being divorced and remarried is not the unpardonable sin. So you don't have to live the rest of your life in guilt and shame. All of us could live the rest of our life in guilt and shame. Have you ever done anything in your life you wished you had not done? God is faithful to forgive, and divorce is no exception. Now, I wish I could say that all of the effects of a divorce would go away. It can be forgiven, but... It affects children, it affects relatives, it affects all kinds of people around you. It can cause further sin by confusing and resentment and hatred and bitterness and despair and conflict. It can be ugly. A study of divorced couples with preschool children shows that a year after divorce, 60% of the men and 73% of the women feel like they made a mistake and should have tried harder to make the marriage work. 75% of teenagers in our country said it's too easy to get a divorce in the United States. And those who come from divorce situations, the teenagers, 74% said that their own parents did not try hard enough. Now, the condition, except for adultery, is not a way out that God provides. He's saying, it's one thing I will recognize 
God never condoned divorce because what he joins together is not to be separated by man. Adultery, another reality that God never intended, is the only thing that can break the bond of marriage according to God. In fact, under the Old Testament law, adultery would be necessarily a, dissolve, a dissolving of the marriage because they killed them. That dissolves the marriage. But because Jesus specifically mentions divorce being permissible on the ground of adultery, and because he also specifically says that he did not come to contradict the law, it seems evident that sometime during Israel's history, divorce was allowed to take the place of execution as a legitimate penalty for adultery. Do you all understand what I'm saying? I mean, if, if, if you wouldn't have had to have this because the adulterer would have been killed. J J they brought the, the adulterous woman to Jesus. They were going to stone her. But Jesus forgave her. So somehow, there's no Old Testament passage that specifically authorizes divorce. But that does not mean that God did not give specific revelation about it because his own recognition and regulation of divorce and his divorce of Israel and Judah in Jeremiah chapter 3, we can assume that somehow God gave divine instructions to say, I'm going to allow a divorce instead of because of adultery instead of them taking that person's life. Joseph, remember Joseph and Mary, Christmas, Mer Joseph and Mary? You know who I'm talking about? <laughs> Christmas Joe, Christmas Mary. They were betrothed. The only way to break that was divorce. They thought she had committed adultery. And Joseph, being a righteous man, was going to divorce her rather than allow her to be stoned. So why did God allow divorce to replace the death penalty? Maybe it was because Israel was so sinful they no longer desired righteousness. I don't know. But I do know this, that God, because of the hardness of human heart, changed the rule a little bit. Now, if God permitted divorce rather than death as a merciful concession to man's sinfulness, why would he not also permit remarriage since remarriage would be perfectly allowable under the original law of death for the adulterer? If you were in a relationship and your spouse committed adultery, they killed them. So you were allowed to remarry. So now... If, you can, if the divorce happens because of adultery, you're still free to remarry. In 1 Corinthians, Paul adds another legitimate ground for divorce and subsequent remarriage. He said that if you become a Christian, and a lot of them were coming out of paganism, if you become a Christian and your spouse leaves you, that word leave, divorces you because of it, you have to let them go. If they want to stay with you, let them stay with you. So, let me, let me change gears a little bit and talk about the expectation. And I'm, I'm headed to the barn. I'm trying to land this plane. I haven't landed it very well today, but I'm going to land it. Let's talk about the expectation. I'm going back to Mark chapter 10. Listen to this scripture. The Pharisees came and asked Jesus. This is verse 2. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. 
And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. You see, they were looking for a reason. They were searching for a means to grant divorce. And Jesus declared it was never the intention of God. It was permitted due to the hardness of their heart. Many people today are looking at it from the same viewpoint. They're seeking a permissible reason and never consider that God did not intend it to be that way. A couple of things quickly. I didn't write this down as notes, but God's plan is just from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Did you get that part? There's no other. You're either male or female. You don't decide. And the only recognizable marriage to God is between a man and a woman, period. Doesn't care what Congress said. Don't care what the Supreme Court said. They're not the Supreme Court. God is the Supreme Judge. And he said it's between a man and a woman. Now, in his wisdom, God designed marriage for men and women. There are three institutions that God created, the home, the government, and the church. And of these three, the first was the home. Jesus further emphasized it. He said, a man shall leave, and he assumes the woman, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Leave and cleave. And he's also saying the most important relationship between a husband and wife is that relationship. No other relationship comes before the relationship between a husband and wife. Obviously, our relationship to God's first. But, but that it is the supreme, it takes priority, priority over all the human relationship. He was to cleave, stick like glue, cling to, and they should become one flesh. Much more than a physical relationship, They become one in heart, spirit, and mind. They have the same goals. They work together. Married couples no longer have the right to operate independently. I I can't believe the stuff I see going on today. It's like people have a contract. Oh, yeah, we'll be married. But then they go their separate ways, and, and it just doesn't work. And now today we have people that say, well, you know what? We'll live together, and we'll try the physical stuff for a while to see if it's going to work. No wonder, no wonder it doesn't work. Because when you marry someone, when a couple stands before God and recites their vows to one another, they enter into a covenant relationship with God also. That's why it says what God has joined together, let not man ever separate. So simply, God intends for you, a man and a woman, for one lifetime. He chose marriage. He created it. I understand. I completely understand that sometimes divorce is the lesser of two evils. 
I have never, ever counseled somebody to get a divorce. I've had women come to talk to me and say, my husband is physically abusing me. And I say, you need to get away from him. You need to separate from him until this can be reconciled. Ladies, if your husband's beating you, you don't have to stay in that relationship for that. that. That's not what God intended. Get away from it. I didn't say go file for divorce. You may eventually have to, but right now, something's got to happen. You don't stay in it. You understand what we're saying here? I hope you do. I hope you understand my heart in all of this. And, and there are those people who don't want to be divorced and their husbands or their wives left them. God never encourages it. He wants you to reconcile if possible. But I know that that can't be done for some of you. You say, what do you do? I'll tell you what you do. Today, today you drive down a stake, make that commitment. God, wish I could undo what have, what's happened. I can't. But I'm asking you to forgive me. And please don't let me make that mistake again. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, folks, I get so disheartened. I'm, gonna be just, I'm just going to be bluntly honest with you. I see people that get out of a horrendous marriage and then go out here and start the same way they started that marriage. Doesn't matter if they're a believer or not. Doesn't matter if they're following God or not. We'll live together for a while. It's enough to make me want to pull every hair in my head out sometime. It does. It just frustrates me to no end. Because you spend your life helping them. I, I've already told you, when I, when I retire, I'm going to be an undertaker. Because then when I spend all this time trying to straighten people out, this time they'll stay straight. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just human part of me. But, you know, too many couples. And, and listen, I'm, I'm just about done. I'm telling you. I can see the airport. I'm coming in. But I want you to get, if you don't get anything else, those of you who are contemplating getting married, Young people, old people, I don't know who you are. Today, it appears to me, that especially the younger generation, focuses more on the venue where they're going to get married and all of the peripheral things, the food and all of that stuff. They, spoke, they focus on all of that and don't give much thought about the covenant they're about to make between them and God. I want to tell you, you can have a Disney book wedding. It won't strengthen your marriage. We got to get off of that stuff. All right, too much television, too much stuff you see. I mean, they spend so much time. We're going to have this. Oh, we've got to do this way. It's got to be that way. Marriage is like a triangle. God's at the top. Woman is in this corner. Man is in this corner. 
Now, I want you to notice, when you start growing in your relationship to Jesus, both of you are growing in your relationship to Jesus. The Lord's up here. Do you notice what's going on? Do you notice how you're getting closer together? When you leave God out of it, it's all out of whack. Ephesians 5 tells men to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Oh, man, you got to compare us to Jesus? It also says we're to lead. We're the head. Oh, we like that. Let's put that on the wall. I'm the head of my home. But, man, I want to tell you something. I'll tell you what that means. It means when God comes to that household and holds you accountable for the way that family's been led and run and handled, he's coming to you, men, to us. How did you handle the stewardship I gave you? How did you treat the wife that I gave you? How did you treat the children that I gave you? That's what being the head of the home is. It's not who's the most macho. Well, I'll just tell him what to do. That's not what that means. You're to love her, sacrificially love her. And now women want to tear that page out of the Bible. It says to submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Let me tell you something. That does not mean you have to do everything your husband tells you to do. And submission's not a bad word. Jesus submitted to the Father. He was equal with the Father. Has nothing to do with equality. But I'm telling you, if a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church, your wife will follow your leadership. But if your husband is a reprobate and doesn't tell you to do the right thing, don't do what he says to do. Don't be ugly about it. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, by you living a, a Christian life in front of him, the Lord can work on him. But the fact is, let him lead. And then, the, and then there's another part of that Ephesians chapter that says, women, respect your husband. You know, men need respect. They're, they're so, I am one, I'm going to talk about us for a second. The little boys out on the playground. You ever watch boys do stuff when the girls are looking? Have you ever noticed? They're just flat out insane. <laughs> They'll hang upside down on the monkey bars. They'll do stuff if they know the girls are looking. You know why? Because they want a girl to respect them. Of course, they don't have any idea at that time. The girls think they're stupid. <laughs> but, but I'm going to tell you, you are married to a grown-up little boy. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says about them. It doesn't matter if the world spits them out, chews them up and spits them out. They, it matters, ladies, wives. When he comes home, he needs to know that you still think he's amazing, that you still respect him, that you still love him. No, he's not perfect. But he needs to know that you respect him. Am I right, men? Amen. He never get over the need of that. I know you're smarter. We all know you're smarter than we are. We know that. You do not have to tell us. We know. We're dumb as a rock most of the time. But we still need you to respect us. And men... There's not a person in here, not a man in here, I don't think, who wouldn't agree that if you're married, 
that you didn't marry way above your head. I can look around and I can tell by looking, how in the world did you wind up with her? Now, that didn't happen because she had a weak moment. No, it happened over a period of time. You know what happened? You invested in her heart. You invested in her heart. You did some romantic things. You may not have thought it was romantic, but you did some things that won her heart. Now, the problem with men is that we have a tendency to conquer and move on to the next challenge. So we stand at the altar and say, I promise to love you and to cherish you, to give myself to you. And we say, I do and so forth. And then they walk out of the building and they turn into a frog again. <laughs> They're no longer the prince. So I'm over that. We're married now. I ain't got to do that now. Oh, yeah, you do. In the next chapter of Matthew, Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Your treasure is where your investment is. And folks, people don't fall out of love. They quit investing in one another. Ladies quit respecting their husbands and husbands quit romancing their wives. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're already handicapped in your marriage. It's hard enough with Jesus. But if you don't both know Jesus and love him, it's even more difficult. So you can give your life to Christ. You never know the kind of husband you could be unless you let the Lord lead you or the kind of wife that you need to be unless you know the Lord leads you. But but listen, your marriage is worth fighting for. Don't quit on it. Let's pray. Thank you, Pastor David. We discovered today in Matthew 5 that the Jewish religious leaders in Jesus' day had an erroneous understanding of the teaching in Deuteronomy 24 regarding divorce and remarriage. Not only did our study this week reveal the exact application of the Scripture's teaching on the matter, but we also saw Jesus' expanded teaching on the matter, all the while being reminded that divorce is a last resort since the first best option is always forgiveness and reconciliation. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.